Okay, we are in Sefer Malachim Beis, Perek Yud Beis, Pasuk Aleph, Ben Sheva Shanim, Yehoash B'Molcho. So we saw in Perek Yud Aleph that after Atalia, husband was killed, her father was killed, uh, was Achav, mother Izevel was killed. She goes on a murderous rage, systematically killing every possible heir to the Davidic throne. Problem is, they are her children and grandchildren. But unbeknownst to her, one infant, Yehoash, or Yoash as he's called, is secreted away by a very heroic woman, Yehosheba, who is the wife of Yehodiah, the Kohen Gadol. And precisely because he's the Kohen Gadol, he knows every intricate alleyway <clears throat> and hiding place in the base Mikdash. They hide this infant, Yoash, for six years. Alternatively, he's hidden in an annex above the Koshe Kedoshim or in the base mitos, the rooms where the Kohanim and Levium sleep. He's successfully hidden, and in his seventh year, Yehudiah decides it is time now to bring him out, and it's done with great secrecy and security. And he is coronated and anointed, and the people are thrilled. Atalia is driven back to the palace, forced back to the where she is killed, ending a very bloody episode in our history and really restoring the Malchus based of it. So we pick that up, Pasuk Aleph, Ben Sheva Shanim Yehoash Ben Malcha. For seventh, in his seventh year, Yehoash is made king. Notice that we have changed his name from the previous parrot to Yoash, from Yoash to Yehoash. And basically that means Yoash means despair. Somebody is Yehosh on something. That B'nai Israel were in despair that the whole Davidic throne or dynasty had ended. They were under that conception now. And now suddenly for a king to come who was carrying on that line was great joy to them. So Vishnat Shevaliyehu, it parallels his colleague and uh, counterpart of the 10 northern tribes, Yehu, um, in his seventh year, Melech Yosvar Bonim Shona Malach Yerushalayim, he reigns for 40 years in Yerushalayim, and we note that is the same years of reigning of David and Shlomo, thus auguring in a new Davidic dynasty of unlimited glory and promise and hope, we think. And Vesheni Mot Sivya Miber Sheva, his mother's name is Sivya Miber Sheva, and the only reason they mention it is because she was a tzaddikus. She was a major influence on him, and it's all the more uh, remarkable because she is Ochazia, who was the big king, very wicked king, his wife. Now, Vayas Yehoash Hayosher Be'enei Hashem Koyomav. 
So it states that Yehoash did everything that was righteous in the eyes of the Kaddish Baruch Hu all his days, but finish the sentence. Asher Horoso Horahu Yehodoya Hakohen. Read it as as long as Yehodoya Hakohen was his mentor. Notice it uses the word horo rather than lumdo. Lumdo is a formal teaching. Horo is that Yehodoya was his mentor, his teacher, his strategist in everything. And as long as Yehodoya was alive, Yehoash was fine. Let's read Rashi there because Rashi is going to give us an insight, a real spoiler alert that doesn't appear in the text. But he is quoting Divrei Hayamim. Says Rashi, The inference is when Yehudoya dies, Oz Bo sorry Yehuda Lishachavos Lamelech Ba'asahu Eloka. This is astounding. The noblemen in his court, the courtiers, these fawning, obsequious, toadying uh, retinue, come to him and make the argument, as we're going to see, that you are really the God of Israel. Why? Because, remember, the Kohen Gadol can only come into the Kodesh Kedoshim once a year. You lived in the Kodesh Kedoshim for seven years. You have great holiness. And they say, and let's complete that, Hanichnos Leves Kodesh Kedoshim, Sha'achas, Mesukon Lomus, with the threat of death, Ezen you lived there six years, it is sufficient evidence to make you the God. He listens to them. He falls hook, line, and sinker for that. It says in He gets a whole new attitude, and we're going to see it affects him tremendously. And absolutely one destroys what would have been a magnificent reign. Let me and, ask you a question, just out of just logic. If you were king of Israel and you know the history, starting from the uh, Yitziat Mitzrayim, before, you know, hundreds of years before you were born, how do you, how, how can you possibly accept, and he was trained by a Kohen Agadol, how can you possibly accept that this, kind of argument. Right, well, this is, it's, it's, it's later in his reign, and it's also teaching the indispensability of Yehudaya. As long as he had a teacher, a mentor, yes. Once these guys got to him, it was just a case of, you know, vanity and excessive ego. Now, continue. However, rock, this is the rock is but. In other words, they're saying he was great without the Rashi thing in, in, interpreting, but he did something else. This is the pitfall of many of the kings. They did not remove those bomos. The nation still made sacrifices on these private altars and offered incense. Let's just recap that. We know that as long as the Mishkan was in existence, 
whether it was at Gilgal or Shiloh or Noah or the base Hamikdash was Kayim in existence, you had to give the korbanos on the public bimos in the base Hamikdash or in the Mishkan. You could not offer private. When they were not in existence, you could offer private. Let's stress again, these private bummers were not an alternative system to the Kaddish Baruch Hu. They were not, especially in Yehuda, Avodah Zarah. They were an alternate place of worship. It's like you're in a city with a big shul and you build a shtibel. In other words, they were in their backyards and in their roofs. They were perfectly permissible. And they didn't move them. And there's an argument why they didn't move them. Because a lot of these bummers were perfectly legal when the Mishkan wasn't there. And they had a Kedusha. So there was a reluctance to remove them. Two, a less spiritual explanation, they were convenient that you didn't have to go to Yerushalayim, you didn't have to go to the base because you had, as we say, those bummos in your backyard, on your rooftops, in front of your house, perfectly legitimate, but you were supposed to remove them, and you didn't. Out of all the things that have happened in Malachim, how is it that this is the decisive factor in the fall of the kings of Israel? Kings of Yehuda. It, it, and it's a very interesting question because they give you the counter arguments. Oh, it could be as well because eventually, in a lot of situations, <clears throat> especially in Israel, the northern kingdom, they morphed into Avodah Zarah. It wasn't such a pure, pristine existence or just an alternative place to daven. They turned it into Avodah Zarah. So, he left them there. Now, <clears throat> Yehoash comes to his cause celebrate. This was his obsession. Um, and that is um, Bedek Habayis, what we call. Making the improvements in the base Hamikdash. We're going to see that was his, like, environment cause. Vayomer Yehoash el HaKohanim, kol kesef hakdashim asher yuva beis Hashem, Kesef, all the money that comes into the base Hamikdash. And he delineates here three kinds. Kesef Ober, Ish Kesef Nafshos Erko, called Kesef Asher Yale Aleva Ish Lavi Beis Hashem. One, Kesef Nafsho is the Shkolem, the Chatsi Shekel that each Jew gave once a year that went for Korbanos. Two, the Kesef Nafshos, a person we will learn in Erchen, can evaluate himself and donate his value that he has to the Beis Hamikdash for whatever purpose, the administrative expenses. And finally, <coughs> excuse me, the voluntary contributions. The person in the gives that again could be used for any purpose, including Bedek Habayas. He wants the Bedek Habayas prioritized. So now the question is, why uh, Bedek Habayas? The temple, it's true, is 155 years old at this time. But it was built out of the sturdiest, 
most eternally lasting materials. Why would it be in such need of Bedek Habayas? And here is another case where Jivrei Hayamim provides us with a subtext, or really a text, that the parak doesn't give us. That is Atayahu. She and her followers desecrated large parts of the Beis Hamikdash. They made crevices and cracks and holes and entrances and even sacrificed to the Baal. So the temple was in dire need of what we call Bedek Habayas, repair. And so what he comes up with, Yahash, is a different system. And interestingly, this parak is the parak we read the Mafter for Shabbos Shkalim, because it is the basis of the donations to the Beis Hamikdash being used for Bedek Habayas. So what he does is Yikulahem Hakohanim Ishmei The Kohanim would bring in this money, would come into the temple, and it would be segregated for different purposes, but what Yehoash instituted is you brought in the money, the Kohanim, the Hain Yechsaku as Bedek Habayas, Lechol Asher Yimotzei Bedek. And these Kohanim would have the discretion, the money would flow to the Kohanim. Normally it is Hektesh and belongs to the temple, but here it was given in the possession of the Kohanim, they made a special Takana. And so basically, the Kohanim had the discretion what to use those funds for. If at the end of the period there were more funds left over, the Kohanim could keep it. If not, the Kohanim would have to pay out of their pocket for the overages that went into running the Beis Hamikdash. This led to two problems, as you can see. One, there was a suspicion, a chashad, of the Kohanim that they were pocketing money that really belonged to Hektesh. And two, on the other side, the Kohanim were um, forced to give their own personal money to make up the shortfall. So nobody was happy with this system. So in his 23rd year, they were not responsible anymore because he was very disappointed both at the system, which he himself had instituted, and the complete uh, non-prioritization of Vedic Habayas as an issue. He summons the Yehodoya as mentor and the rest of the Kohanim. Why aren't you prioritizing Bedek Habayas? It is a vital necessity. Stop collecting money from donors and friends. Everything is to go in to Bedek Habayas. They stop taking the money, which hopefully removes the suspicion that they were pocketing the surplus. And they had no more responsibility for Bedek Habayas. He took a chest. He puts a slit 
on top of this massive chest, like a pushka. He puts it to the right of the altar. When each individual entered the base HaMikdash, he would put the money in. Some said there were two, one inside, one outside, say people who couldn't come in. And so they regard it at the end of the period, whether it be a day or a week when it fills up, so that they would take as kol hakesef from Hashem. They would empty it. They would, um, as when they saw it, it filled Baron in those um, boxes. Vayal sofer hamelech, the king's scribe, and the kohen gadol. Yehudoyo would get up, by Yotsuru, they took out the money, they counted it out, by Yimnu Esakesef, Hanin Sobeis Hashem. So they would count it out, by Nasnu Esakesef, Hamasukon, Ayyidei, Osei Hamalachah, Hamifakuadim Beis Hashem. They gave it directly into the hands of the artisans. The ewers of wood, the builders, the masons, who are building the structure, the ewers of stone, the lignos eitzim to acquire wood, the avnei stones, everything went into bedek everything went to strengthen that internal structure of the base HaMikdash. They were not to use this money, this was all structural importance, they were not to use this for utensils of the house. Sipos Kesef, silver, masmeros, forks, mizrakos, chatzosros, trumpets, kolkle, zahav, bekli kesef, all gold utensils and all silver, min ha-kesef hashem, to this money that came into the hands of the Kaddish Baruch So, this is not exactly true because if there was leftover, it did go to these utensils. In any case, they would give it the chizku by space Hashem. That was their sole task. Interesting. These artisans, stone viewers, wood viewers, they were not accountable. They didn't have to give a cheshvon of their expenses. And we trusted them. We had complete emuna in them. They were not required to account. We didn't bring the ashams and the chatos out of that money, but there was taken out of the surplus, la kohanim, and so we see a magnificent job of Bedek Habayis, but as we're going to see, looming ahead on the horizon, especially with that story that we began with Ruth Rashi, are nothing less than the seeds of destruction of this Beis Hamikdash that so much love and money and improvement was poured into. 8.45 a.m. tomorrow, Ad time.